Today, our final life plan topic is on insecurities. We're going to talk about insecurities. And there is so much that attributes to the feeling of being insecure. It could be from our childhood that we had and issues that went there. Maybe it's past traumas or recent experiences of failure or rejection can definitely spur on insecurities. Maybe it's because of loneliness or social anxiety or negative beliefs about yourself. Perfectionism can also be something that comes from or produces insecurities. Or having a critical parent or partner can all contribute to insecurity. I read a quote that said this, most of us feel insecure sometimes, but some of us feel insecure most of the time. So probably more than likely, most of us in here in some way or another might deal with insecurities at different times. Often person that you think doesn't deal with insecurities at all might just be the person you find out deals with it the most. I mean, how much do you think that your success or the decisions you've made in your life have to do with insecurities? What about health decisions? I just want to be healthy so I can be healthier. Yeah, nah, I really want to look better so people will notice, right? What about financial decisions or things that you purchase or things that you have? I mean, how many different things is based on insecurity? How, what about the things you post online and how you're so concerned with the amount of likes that you get? I mean, some of that could have a foundation in insecurity. And insecurity could have an effect on your life. There's a lot of different significant ways it could do that. It could create anxiety or paranoia, fear of loss, instability, an increased need for reinsurance. It can make you suspicious or have an inner turmoil about what's the importance of a relationship you're in or what's going to happen to it in the future can start to consume you. Feeling of personal inadequacy or worthlessness. Well, all these things begin to diminish our capacity to really think and act effectively. Insecurity is going to have a huge impact on our lives. But this morning, we're just going to touch the surface. We're just going to touch the surface. But, but I do want to address those that might be feeling that insecurities are, are having a significant impact in your life. Maybe you're feeling depressed or seriously anxious. Maybe you're finding yourself having panic attacks or broken relationships or even suicidal thoughts. If that's you, I want, you to, I want to invite you to our Welcome Center. We have information on Safe Harbor Counseling Center. That's a ministry here at Rancho. If you didn't listen to it a few weeks back, Elaine spoke on mental health issues. Come, we have ways of helping. Don't let another day go by without reaching out and letting us journey with you on that. But what I want to do here, starting off, I'm going to invite some friends up. But at that, during this, I want you to take one minute. If you have your life plan book or your phone, or I really challenge you, if you want to talk to the person next to you, especially if you know them, if you don't know them, it might be a little uncomfortable. And here's the question I want you to ask. In what areas do you feel insecure and why? In what areas do you feel insecure and why? We're going to get set up here. Take a minute to either write that down, think about it, or talk about it. I dare you to talk about it. What areas do you feel insecure and why? Go for a minute and let me get my friends up here. How many of you told someone next to you? 
Okay, a couple people. Most of you are too insecure to do that. I get it. So anyway, so I want to introduce our friends here. This is Brayden, and Brayden is our middle school youth pastor. We have Laura Lynn, who is our small groups pastor, and Ryan Beaver, who is our children's ministry pastor. And these are very insecure people, so I wanted to get them up here and kind of chat about this. But just, I just love you guys and your honesty today and in your lives. But uh, Brayden, I want to start with you. What would you say is the foundation of your, kind of what your insecurity is and, and what you've kind of concluded as some of the foundations of that? I would say the main thing I struggle with is comparison, and a lot of it goes back to being the youngest of three boys. I have two older brothers who, frankly, I think the world of. My oldest brother, he got a perfect score on his SAT. He runs this Airbnb business out in Boston. He travels the world, does all this, this crazy stuff. My middle brother, he also just a top-notch student, was, was captain of the cross-country team, and he's now a medical doctor. And growing up, I compared myself to them constantly. And, and I had people in my lives that compared myself, that compared me to them, because once you get into middle school and high school, you have the same teachers and same peers. A lot of them constantly, when they complimented me, it would not just be, hey, you're super smart. It would be, hey, you're super smart, just like your brother. Hey, you're super fast, just like your brother. And so when I was bullied throughout middle school and high school, I had all these negative voices, but then the positive voices were voices of comparison as well. So ultimately, I, I, that became my own self-talk. I had very, a lot of negativity, and any positivity was rooted in comparison. Yeah. Well, his older brother was in my youth group, and so was he, so sorry. <laughs> I probably compared him to him because your other brother is pretty awesome. So... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but so are you. <laughs> Laura Lynn, uh, uh, what about you? What would you say is your foundation of your insecurities? Um, well, it's, it's thinking back, you know, my big insecurity is that I'll never be good enough, that, um, you know, a, a lot of shame stuff in my life. But back in when I was in fifth grade, I had a teacher, I had a lot of learning difficulties. And back in the day, they did not have the services that they have now and couldn't even identify it. And this teacher actually just said she'll never graduate from high school. And pretty much I needed to be in a special needs, something out of her hair. Because when you can't read or write, you're going to act out in class. And, and that's pretty much who I was. Um, so, you know, I just remember that in my life and just playing out that it didn't matter that I did graduate from high school, you know, yay, and that I did graduate from college, but it created this drivenness in me with that same message and script that I'll never be good enough, so I got to keep striving. Right. All right. Viv, what about you? Like, what would you say is your insecurity and, and foundation of that? Yeah, the, the, what is the root of my insecurity? That, that question I have wrestled with since I was very young. Um, I think the answer is you people are the root of my insecurity. <laughs> I honestly do think that it's the people in my life that I desperately want to not just like me, but value me. I want, I want people to think I'm awesome. I, I walk into rooms and it's like, how can I make people here think I'm cool? How can I make people like me more? How can I, and, and it is sad and it is pathetic and it is something that has haunted me my entire life. Um, but it is, it really is this weird thing where I just have always wanted people to, to give me value and self-worth. And so I used to think it was pride. I used to think, man, I'm, I'm, I'm just prideful. Look at me. I'm just, I'm bragging and I'm doing whatever. And why do I do this? And then I'm like, but what's fueling that pride is it's the pride is kind of like a smokescreen for the insecurity that drives it. Uh, and, and so there's just this question is like, do people, you know, value me as much as I want to feel valued, which is of course never going to be enough. So 
Hmm. All right. So, so Braden, uh, how have you seen some negative results of your insecurities? So as you grew up, moving into adulthood, like what are some of the negative things that you found happening in your life? The primary one that at face value seems like a good thing is I became super driven, but I became driven to an unhealthy extent. I have had so much depression and anxiety and even panic attacks over how hard I've pushed myself at times in order to achieve what I want to achieve in order to match up to those who I'm comparing myself to. And ultimately, when I was throughout my teenage years, I had a very bitter relationship toward my siblings that didn't really turn around until probably like my senior year of high school, as well as I just do what a lot of people do when they log on social media, where I just naturally start comparing myself to other people. I just naturally have always had this comparative voice in my head that I've had to figure out and navigate, and even as a pastor, not to compare myself to other people, to even other pastors, has been a, it's been a thing to navigate for sure. Okay. Laura, then what about you? Negative results. Well, there's negative results, but, you know, I don't, there's a drivenness, absolutely, a drivenness that can be negative. It can also be positive. I've been able to overcome odds, right, when you're, when you're driven like that. But um, the biggest part of the negativity one is that I feel like I'm always going to be found out that really you weren't supposed to be that person. And so, you know, sometimes it'll play out. Even when I come here at church, like, what if they find out that I really shouldn't have gotten my degrees, that I really aren't qualified? Um, So that can play out Mm -hmm. in my life. And then it played out in my relationships that um, I kept people kind of at a distance from me because what if they find out who I really am, that I'm, you know, not good enough? Yeah. How about you, Beeve? Yeah, this is, again, something I put a lot of thought into. It has affected a ton of areas of my life. I would say that the... um, the ways that I've seen, uh, there's three things that come to mind. One is I, I sadly pollute many potentially wonderful moments um, with this, this weird thing where I, like, I'll have conversations that, that might seem to the person I'm talking to like it's a real conversation, but they, I, they probably see through it anyway. But, but in, in case they do, it's like deep down, I'm really just trying to, to, to somehow get to the point where I can convey information that will make them think I'm cool. Or that make, I mean, now it's like I do it with my kids. It's like, my kids are cool, so you should think I'm cool. And it's just, it's, it's an even more pathetic version of what I've struggled with my whole life. But, uh, but I, do, I do see that. I mean, what if I just would have been present in that conversation and just not been fishing or, or whatever you want to call it, this, this thing you do to try and get people to do that. But, but I would also say that I see the same with that alcoholism. The more you, the more you, you know, whatever, whether it's drugs or alcohol, the more you do it, I believe, the less they have an effect on you. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, the sad thing is that there are these things in my life that, that are good, wonderful things, like accomplishments or experiences that, that I should take joy in a healthy sense of pride in. Like, these are good things that, sadly, the, the weight of them is greatly diminished because it just, it's just, I'm so desperately trying to get it all the time that, that even the, the pure experiences don't have the, the benefit that they could. And then, and then lastly, um, very negative, is that because I'm so desperate to to earn people's approval and value, um, things like competition. I cannot tell you the amount of times I've been inappropriate in a competition when I'm losing because if they don't think I'm good at cornhole, it's going to be really, really bad for me, you know? <laughs> and if, if man, if, I, if, if I, and I sit here and think, like, why does this matter? Does it, like, is it really important to me that this person knows how well I can throw a bag full of corn? Like, this is crazy. But it is, I'm telling you time and time again, I have seen it come up, and, I'm, and it's, it's a monster that I've wrestled with for years. Mm. So my final question is, like, what are maybe some of the decisions or your walk with God or directions you've gone to help you be able to either overcome or embrace or, you know, thrive in the midst of these insecurities? 
I, I would say senior year was the turning point, and it was both something you said in youth group as well as something I learned in psychology. It was kind of one and the same. You call it the anticipation factor. In psychology, they call it the hedonic treadmill. And the basic idea is if you tell yourself, when I get this, when I get here, I will be content, or when I achieve this, then I will be secure, you're on a treadmill. And once you get there, you will be running, and once you get that thing, you're still on the treadmill. You have not actually gone anywhere. And so I told myself, oh, once I achieve this, I'll be secure. And very often I found I was still insecure at the end of the day. I was still the same old person. And so what I, what I had to do, a very intentional decision was to say, okay, I need to step off the treadmill, and how do I do that? And for me, that was really internally silencing the negative voices and trying to listen more to the positive voices in my life, my, my parents, my, my friends, my family, my fiance. And in some cases with the negative voices, being brave enough to speak up when somebody said something that hurt me. Because oftentimes, as I said earlier, it was friends or even teachers who were well-intentioned and were complimenting me, but said, just like this person. And so I would have to speak up in that moment and say, hey, like, I appreciate that, but could you please not have a level of comparison with that? Because that actually is something I, I navigate. Mm -hmm. And that's a hard thing to be open about, but it's been very helpful in the long run. Mm -hmm. You know, I can just say, Braden, I've said, you know, I've watched you grow in this. And, and he's a Harvard student now, by the way, so he, he's not shabby. And yeah, they're <laughs> clapping. Yeah. But, but I've watched you make decisions on your work schedule and your activities to make sure that you don't go across that line. And as I've watched you just grow, I'm just so impressed with the way that you continue to handle your insecurities and, and thrive in them and do such amazing work in it. So it's so cool. That so, has been a huge one to yeah. tell myself to slow down, yeah. to not get to that unhealthy level yeah. of drivenness. Yeah. Laura Lynn, what about you? Yeah, so for me, um, when I really started identifying it, you know, therapy helps, it really does. And, and having friends in your life that can speak truth to your life. But um, early on, I don't remember if it was high school or college, but I got this concept that you can find God in nature as well as in the word. And so I knew I needed to rewrite that shame script that I had in my head. And so memorizing scripture was important for me. And, you know, the, the concept that it's just it's on your forehead all the time that, you know, it's not really on your forehead because you can't see yourself in the mirror like that. <laughs> but, you know, have it memorized so that you can recall it. And then it's just your I call it soaking in that scripture. But it's also in nature. You know, the majesty of the clouds and the mountains and the ocean and being able to see God and have him just speak those truths that he created this for us and, and rewriting that script over and over has been super important for me. And, and it's a lifelong journey. It's not like I arrived at any chance. There's times, that, you know, knowing that I was coming up here on stage this morning that I'd go, okay, here we go. Yeah. You know, we're doing this and, and we can do it. And God is with us at all times. Awesome. You know, and I watch just your love for scripture and your your pursuit of health in that is just obvious, and I just appreciate all that you do as well. So, B, what about you? What, what have you found your... So, uh, this, is, this truly is something that I have wrestled with for years, and, and like you were saying, I, I still have wonderfully pathetic moments where I'm like, what on earth am I doing? Why, why did I just do that in that conversation? Why couldn't I just not do that? But, but it's, a, it's a huge, huge struggle. I would say for me, the biggest, the biggest thing that's helping me is I'm... I'm seeing what it ultimately comes from. There's a, there's a book that I read about eight or nine years ago called Searching for God Knows What, and it, 
it was profound for me. It, it is this idea that we're all looking for love and affection and value and that we were designed, that God designed us to find that from somewhere outside of ourselves, and that was intended to be him, that God is intended to be the source of our love and value and acceptance. But sadly, we, we all look for it from a jury of our peers. And, and we are really bad at being that source for people. Like, we, we, we're not good at that. We're too busy being selfish and trying to find it ourselves to give it to anyone else. And even when we do, it's very fleeting and very, very temporary. Um, but God, there, there is this incredible, amazing love of, of God that, that actually has the ability to make us feel secure for an extended period of time. Uh, and so for me, the, that is the solution. But man, is it hard to live into that. I, I am fully aware of the fact that I am loved by God. But what I struggle with is the, the fact that it doesn't seem to have any practical weight in my life sometimes. One of the things I've, I've said before is that, is that if I were to put a sheet of paper in front of each one of you and it said there in big letters that it said, I believe that I am loved by God in an incredible way. I think every one of us would sign that or most of us would sign that. And, and as much as we believe that to be true, the, the problem I see in my life as well as the lives of the people around me is how little that truth actually impacts our life. There, it doesn't have a lot of weight in our life. And so um, I feel like as a youth, as a children's pastor, as a parent, as a pastor in general, one of the most important things for me to, to, to wrestle with is how can I make the love of God have more practical, tangible weight in the lives of the people that I, that I live with and minister to and things like that. And so one of the things we talked about uh, the other day in our meeting was there is something in my life that has helped me see the potential of what this could be. Uh, and that something is my wife. My wife, Jen, is incredible. She is beautiful and sweet and kind and intelligent and she is just amazing and for some strange reason she thinks I'm awesome like she loves me so much it's it's nuts um about eight or nine years ago I, I put on probably 25 pounds in the first year of my marriage so this is probably like 15 years ago where I, I remember just being one day looking in the mirror and grabbing my stomach and be like what is wrong with you I think I was talking with my belly button saying you are pathetic like what like like just looking and it was super early in the morning and I looked, I realized that my wife could like see into the bathroom if she was awake, but surely she's not awake. And I look over and her eyes are open and I see the whites of her teeth and I catch her smiling and I go, what are you doing? And she says, I'm just loving my husband. Hmm. And I was like, well, stop, stop it. <laughs> but that seriously hit me because she had told me for years, I love you. How you, I know, I know you're not a little boy anymore. You're a man. I'm like, I'm a fat man. You know, what, you know what's going on? And, and I, I just didn't believe that she, but, I, but in that moment, I believed it. And that has changed me in a more practical way than any truth um, has in a long time. And, and the idea that now I, I, I truly can, be, I'm, I'm loved by my wife. I'm good. When it, I don't need to try and impress other people. My wife, who's incredible, thinks I'm awesome. And, and I, I bring that up because that is the potential of what the, the weight of God's love has mm. to do. It, it can change the way that we go into rooms. Instead of going into rooms saying, who in this room can I get to love me? I'm like, I'm good. Who can I go and love? And it's, mm. it's this life-changing, crazy truth that is very hard to give the practical weight. But I am I'm hopeful, and that is where I'm, I'm concentrating my efforts as opposed to a bunch of messed up ways I used to. Awesome. Hey, let's thank the panel. Uh, man, thank you all for such, so much honesty. Ooh, man, they, uh, they really opened up our lives today. And I hope that for many of you here, you identify with one. 
or, or, or maybe it's just a letting you to kind of look at your own insecurities. I, I got to talk this week to a lot of people about insecurities. Uh, we spent time with the panel, but also with some friends. But I also got to talk to some professionals. I got to talk to um, Elaine at Safe Harbor and spend some time with her. I got to talk with Brene Brown about insecurities. And I didn't really talk to her. I, I watched her Netflix show. Um, <laughs> felt like I was talking to her. Uh, it's amazing. If you haven't seen it, I encourage you. Or her, or her TED Talk was good too. But there's no doubt. It just seems like most people struggle with this with insecurity in our lives in different ways, struggling with feeling confident or, or feeling like they matter or that they can really be themselves. Uh, one quote that really resonated with me this week says, my biggest fear is that eventually you will see the way I see myself. Any of you ever felt that way? Like if they really saw you who you really were, they'd reject you. So you have insecurities, you have to put on this face and, and there's many different factors as we saw here with them. We saw it can be comparison like with Braden with his brothers or, or shame, the way someone was spoken to when they were a little girl, that shame could have an impact. Or our insecurities could just be, why do I just need more accolades and I need people to see how awesome I am like Ryan? Maybe, maybe again, you can relate to one of those or you have your own that you realize every day you're facing with different insecurities in your life. Well, one of the words that over and over and over again in my conversations, but mainly in the things I was reading and talking to people like Elaine and things like that, one of the big words that stood out to me of dealing with insecurities was the word acceptance. Acceptance was a huge one. Over and over again, that seemed to pop up. Not about being accepted, but about accepting my insecurities that I have them, that they're real, that they're there and they might not go away. Matter of fact, Ryan, when we were talking about, I was talking about that last question, like how have you overcome or embraced your insecurities? Ryan right, said, right away said, well, how about how do I cope with my insecurities? Because he says, I haven't overcome them and I don't necessarily know if I've embraced them, but I'm coping with it. Oh, wow, it's still there. It hasn't gone away, it's real. So we need to accept that you have insecurities and so does everyone else, right? That's a healthy thing because we need each other. So accepting that we have these and understanding that we're not alone could be so powerful in our lives. I mean, the temptation to think that what's going on in my head, I'm the only one deal with it, dealing with it and, and thinking it is real. Have any of you felt that way? Have you ever felt lonely in your own head that if people just knew what I was thinking and I must be the only one thinking it? That could be a dangerous place to be. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. I mean, why do you think Laura Lynn and Brayden and Ryan came up here and bared their lives to you, right? Because they want you to know you're not alone. That yeah, they have insecurities, but so do you. And we need each other. Just like they need their community and you need a community as well. And I understand that accepting that we need each other can be tough for some of that, us, especially when our insecurities stem from broken relationships, from home, a parent, or a spouse, or even from a church. You have a guy like me come up and say, we need to be connected with other people, and you're like, oh, whoa, 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 no way. As a matter of fact, man, you've pushed people so far, the result you're pushing them so far, and you're trying to get to the place where you can say, I just don't need anybody. 
I don't need anyone. I'm just going to bear down and deal with this myself because I can't trust anyone. Man, if you are at that place or moving towards that place, I just want to say, man, that is an unhealthy place to be. It might feel safe now because you're keeping people at a distance, right? But in the long run, it could get really dark if you're not careful. I was thinking of Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13 says this, but encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. I mean, sin could harden our hearts. It, it deceives us, it hardens our heart. I'm not just talking like your sin, but the sin someone else might have committed against you. Those things that can create insecurities might not be something I've done, but what someone else has done and that can cause a hardening of our hearts. And we need to find people and be around people and connect with people that will encourage us. We need to be encouragers in other people's lives as well. You might be sitting there going like, I don't need to be connected. I'm fine, I don't have insecurities. Well then go get connected because guess what? People need you. People need you. Oh, I woke up this morning and I turned on, looked at Yahoo News, see what's going on. And the cover story just hit me. It was about Chris Davis from the Baltimore Orioles. And if any of you ever heard of Chris Davis, he has one of the most beautiful left-hand swings in baseball. But earlier this year, he went through the longest slump in Major League Baseball history. He went 0 for 54. That is a long, he is what was a few years back was one of the top home run hitters in the game. And he went through the slump 0 for 54. I don't even know the insecurities he must have been feeling during that time of not being able to hit the ball and get a hit. Now, you might be thinking, oh, he had like $20 million a year. <laughs> oh, yeah, really? You don't think this is affecting him? The articles, the write-ups, what people are saying, kick him off. He's not worth his money. He's trash. Well, this, letter, this, this news clip this morning talked about a letter from a fan that helped him get out of his slump. And this fan was not a Baltimore Oriole fan. He's a Boston Red Sox fan. He doesn't like the Orioles. But this nine-year-old kid wrote him a letter. And this is what it said. There are two things I want you to know. First, the way you play baseball has nothing to do with how good of a person you are. Also, you are incredible. He got out of his slump from that letter. He's been in pretty much a slump all year, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> but what the news was is that he brought this kid to the field the other day and the kid got to spend the day with him. Be out in batting practice, be around the dugout. Oh, the voice of children, the faith of a child. When every adult is ripping this guy apart, some kid changed his life. And that just deeply impacted me. I know it might be hard, especially if you struggle with insecurities, but finding ways of connecting with people instead of comparing yourself to people is so important. Matter of fact, caring, compa comparing creates codependency, which breeds insecurities. But connecting creates interdependence, which can help us overcome, embrace our insecurities. Outside today are all different groups. Men's groups, women's groups, couples groups, fun groups, play groups, whatever. Groups to go connect. And I just want to encourage you. I want you to just go. And, and, and I know for some of you, especially if church has been the place where it's caused insecurity and hurts, then maybe it's time just to take a step out, right? And realize we're all on this crazy journey of life together with our insecurities and issues. 
And let's go get connected. I love Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. So that might be exactly what you need today, just to accept your insecurities and understand that we all have them and understand we need each other and to take that risk. Maybe it's going to the marriage retreat. Maybe you and your spouse say, we're gonna go to this marriage retreat, connect to some other uh, um, uh, couples and find community. So that's the first thing, accepting our insecurities and that we all have them. The second thing is this, accept that where you are is where you are. That's a real weird statement, I understand. I tried so hard to rephrase this in different ways, but this is what's in my head. You are where you are and you need to accept that. And I think that could be a very powerful mindset to have because it seems like so many insecurities are based on not feeling that I'm where I should be or I haven't achieved all that I could or there's so much more I could be doing. And and then we get into the thing of comparing ourselves to others, right? what they have, what they've done, what they've achieved. And it seems like we're so far behind them and their experiences and their successes. A a pastor by the name of Steve Furtrick said this, the reason we struggle with insecurity is because we compare our behind the scenes with everyone else's highlight reel. How true is that? You know what that's called? Social media, right? It's social media. I'm watching that. I'm seeing everyone's highlight reel and I'm thinking about my behind the scenes reality. And it's hard to accept where we are because we just are so inundated where we think we should be. But I think that is a key to thriving. It's, it's like what Braden was saying of getting off that treadmill. It's a key to thriving in spite of our insecurities. Because often we just think, if I could just get this, then my insecurities will go away. If I can just achieve this, if I can just get this relationship, oh, if he would like me, she would like me, but but whatever it might be, if I could just get that, my insecurities will go away. But that's just usually not the case. I I believe that was one of the big purposes of the book of Ecclesiastes in the Bible. Solomon wrote this book, Ecclesiastes, the end of his life. And, and he talks so much about chasing after the wind over nine times. He talks about chasing after the wind in there. Solomon, if you don't know, was King Solomon, and and he was supposedly one of the wisest men that ever lived. I don't know. He made a lot of terrible decisions, in my opinion. Like, I really want want to live like him. But at the end of his life, he started writing down maybe all the things he did by the dumb things he did, but he, or, or what he learned and the wisdom that he gained. But in the book of Ecclesiastes, oh man, there's just nuggets of wisdom in regards of what we're talking about here today. Look at Ecclesiastes 4 4. And I saw that all labor and all achievement spring from man's envy of his neighbor I mean I mean how do you know that that car is special except that your neighbor has the car and says it's special right I mean the real reality is like we're achieving things because people are deemed are, are saying that that's valuable because I have it and you should have it too this is meaningless and chasing after the wind he said I really this week got captured by Ecclesiastes 6 9 better what the eye sees than the roving of the appetite this too is meaningless, it's chasing after wind. Check out, better is what the eye sees, except that you are where you are, right? Then the, the roving of the appetite, that's like if I can just get that fruit out there, if I can get that thing out there, if I can just get it, then I'll arrive. What a powerful statement. 
I mean, last week we talked about finances, and one of the points I made was strive after contentment. And I, and I feel it's just relevant for this topic today, that contentment will help us battle and cope with and overcome insecurities. Because so many insecurities come from fears and concerns about tomorrow, a day that we don't even know if it's going to come, right? So we allow it to consume our today, and we don't even know it's going to come tomorrow. You know, a lot of people say, like, I hate watching the news because it's so, you know, all this bad news. I mean, you know what bugs me the most about the news? It's just trying to get me to fear tomorrow. If this happens and then, oh, what, you know what's going to happen to you and your pocketbook and you're this and you're that, ah, you know? And it gets me to not be able to just sit there and go, wow, look at what's going on today. And I think it's just something that we should consider, that we should really kind of wrestle with, accepting that where we are is where we are. And this is the day that we want to focus on. Dallas Willard talked about this. It really impacted my life about 10 years ago. He said, first, we must accept the circumstances we constantly find ourselves in as the place of God's kingdom and blessing. I just want you to stop there. We need to accept the circumstances we find ourselves in as the place of God's kingdom and the place of God's blessing. Now he said something that I will never forget as long as I live is gonna blow your mind. It is so simple and so deep. Here it goes. God has yet to bless anyone except where they actually are. Just, just sit there. God has yet to bless you tomorrow. He hasn't blessed anyone tomorrow. He's yet to bless anyone outside of where they are. And he goes on to talk about if we just continue to see like right now where we are is just wrong, it's wrong, I'm not where I should be, then we're actually like just eliminating our ability to really see and receive the kingdom into our life. Because we're thinking it's there, it's the treadmill, it's there, it's there. And we're allowing that appetite of what could come to overtake our eyes seeing what is and seeing the beauty of Christ right now. Jesus taught about that in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 to his followers. Seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has its own, has enough trouble of its own. I believe we have, in many ways in the church, I believe that we have focused so much on God's kingdom being so out there and, and, and this idea that we will experience it someday, that we have actually made it difficult to live in today. We just have this thing that it's, it, we're, we're going to get there. And, and we don't trust the fullness of God's presence here and now, in and through our lives, that the Bible declares is true. And, and we have this perfectionism in our brains. I know I'm not perfect, but someday I will be. <laughs> You know, I know I'm not perfect, but someday I will be. I believe that has created some unnecessary insecurities today. The, the, the pressure that God is not pleased with us today unless we put in more effort, try harder, and create, can, can create religious insecurities. And these insecurities can result in two things, two main things. Either it could debilitate us or it can make us so egocentric. Either we feel like I'm just not very good, I'm just going to give up, or like, man, I'm super good and everyone else is a wretch, right? Oh, man, the church can breed some of the most narcissistic and insecure people on the planet. They're called pastors, <laughs> right? 
<laughs> I mean, the, the things we struggle with and, and the realities that are out there. I mean, we could be so insecure or we could just be so, oh, it's, look at what God's doing to, in my life and through my life, you know, or like, woe is me, I'm just not good. I love Colossians chapter two, just to kind of rest in something that hopefully will help us with our insecurities and not, you know, and, and not either debilitate us and cause us to have more insecurities or even make us more egocentric, you know. Colossians two, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human traditions and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. I mean, he's teaching a church that I think is taking on the world's principles of achievement and attaining and keep going and doing and get more. God's out there. If you just do more, you're gonna find him. He goes on to say this, for in Christ, all the fullness lives in deity, de uh, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. And now check this part out. And you have been given fullness in Christ who is the head over every power and authority. And you have been given fullness in Christ. That's, that's today, that's now, that's the kingdom's reign in and through our hearts and minds right now, right here. Matter of fact, I want us to just stop right now for a moment. I want close your eyes. Everyone close your eyes. No, that's scary. Just to close your eyes. And I want you to just take a moment to let this verse sink into your heart and your mind. And you have been given fullness in Christ. Christ. Let it relieve you from the pressure you might feel to perform in order to be accepted by God. For you have been given fullness in Christ. Let, let it cause rest and peace and hope in your heart and mind. For that is the place of the kingdom of God where Christ reigns now and forevermore. For you have been given fullness in Christ. That is such a beautiful truth. And that kind of leads us to the last acceptance. To accept that our status with God is that of dearly loved, fully accepted children. Religion can put on the pressure that you need to love God more, right? You need to love God more. But the reality is, is I think Christ came to lift that burden and to show us that you just need to trust in God's love more. You need to see and experience and be in awe of the love that God has for us. 1 John 2, 1, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. How great is the love of God. How great is the love of God. How great is the love of God that he lavished on us. Or look at 1 John 4, 10. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. As we, as we looked at earlier, sin can result in hearts being darkened. It could cause our eyes to be blinded so we can't see clearly, right? It, could give, it can cause our lives to be stuck in darkness. But Jesus came to bring to light something so, so very beautiful. The, the, the kingdom of God is not far, it's near. That's what he declared. The promise that was promised in the Old Testament that would bless all people is here. He's not far. Christ's kingdom is now, it's in us, it's kingdom of love put on display and established through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, declaring that God is love and he loves us. 
Yes, we face insecurities, except that, yeah, they're real. We got them, but so does everyone else. Realize we need each other. Begin to accept that where you are is where you are. And to begin to see the beauty right now, especially when you're accepting that our status before God is as dearly loved, accepted children. And I hope and pray that maybe some of our insecurities are lifted or at least we can cope with them more or embrace them more and see that our lives can continue to thrive as we move and get connected with God and with each other. I wanna encourage you to go out and talk to some people, go get some tacos, hang out for a little while. We got some cars out there for the car show. Go, go check out a couple cars. There'll be a lot more next Saturday. And I hope that God might do an incredible work in and through your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for just the truth that we are loved by you. And I, I know sometimes it's hard to believe. And with all the insecurities that we deal with, that could stem from so many different ways, even church and religion and the experiences we've had there. I pray that we would just accept that we have insecurities, that we all do, and we realize we're not alone, and that we realize how much we need each other to encourage one another. We need to accept we are what we are. This is the life we have right here, right now. And in the midst of that, that we are, our status, that we can accept that our status with you is as dearly loved, accepted children. May that begin to have a profound impact on our lives. And as Ryan said, that no longer we are looking for things, no longer we just desiring for others to, to necessarily just love us, but we are beginning to love because of the love that you have shown us. It would be thousands of friends advancing your cause for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen.